This week's episode of Metric, a user experience podcast, is with Emily King. We talk about conversational UI and how the future of the front end is not your own. I'm giving away these bomb Tesla amazing magnetic dry erasable notes this month, which is just the first of a new monthly design swag raffle I'm starting. All I ask is that you leave an honest review of Metric in your podcatcher of choice, and you send a screenshot to Metric Podcast on Twitter. Reviews help us reach a bunch of new folks. Or if you're in a position to, you can get an automatic entry if you are able to support LibioX on Patreon at just the $2 a month tier. For a buck a month, you get early access to this podcast, things cut out for time, and like almost 20 articles a month. I try really hard to make it worth it for you. There's more stuff about that at patreon.com slash LibioX. All right, here we go. Okay, um, Emily. <laughs> Emily, if... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> My name is Emily King. I'm, a, I don't know, I guess a librarian, developer, UXer, all of the above kind of person. Um, you know, I got into libraries really from a service aspect and then uh, got frustrated with like interface design and that type of stuff. Um, so I ended up being more on the tech side and trying to design better interfaces for um people that were using the library so that the service of the library could be better. In the Slack that we're both in, um, one of our colleagues, uh, Stephen Bell, had written a post about um, conversational UIs. I think we, even if it's not part of our technical capabilities at the moment, I think we all are starting to get the feel that the, the conversational UI, the voice UI, is going to be something that is going to be part of our lives within the year or soon thereafter, but soon. Well, I feel like we're kind of at the point, like I remember um, when mobile first became a thing and it was kind of like everybody had been doing web design. Everybody had these like ideas about this is how you design your interface. And it was really based on being on a desktop. And then the, the iPhone came out and it was like, Whoa, what do we do with this? This is a completely new way of thinking of things. And, we started off building two completely separate systems to, to deal with this new type of content. And then we eventually got to the point where we are now, where we've got most of the web is really towards this responsive design where it doesn't matter what, what screen size. And now we're moving to a point where maybe you don't even have a screen. You just have, like you're interacting with the information so differently um, because you don't have that visual interface. That's part of your user interface. And it's, it's an exciting thing to, to think about how it's going to change the way that we interact, but it's also something that I think we need to really start thinking about. What does that mean for uh, the user interface when when we're talking about libraries? Maybe this is with the benefit of hindsight, but going from static screen sizes to fluid layouts to mobile first, all all seems relatively within, I don't know, the same, uh, it's about the visuals, and of course things are fitting the different contexts, but it's like the different visual contexts. And so we're still yeah. producing the same assets. But when we're talking about decoupling the the service from the visual entirely, yes. the like developing that and, and thinking through that is, uh, wow. I mean, that's like, it's like a quantum leap. It's, it's, it's something it really so is, yeah. different. 
Yeah, it really, really is. But like in some ways, and I was looking um, back at on some of the articles, but in some ways, like this technology isn't necessarily super new. Like we had voice interfaces before we had computer interfaces. If we're looking at like the phone technology, that that was like our first major information system um, that operated. And then we went into the visual, and now we're kind of going back. But it's it you know we're so far ahead of anything that we were even thinking about way back in the day when we were didn't have a visual interface. So yeah, it's. It is really revolutionary, but I do remember like when we were at that point, um, and mobile did feel as big as this. Like it, it, the idea that you wouldn't have a static stream, like that felt like it, it was a monumental change. But then, of course, this feels like just exponentially bigger than that. So, so you got, uh, you have an Amazon Dot. Yes, yes. So for Christmas, I got an Amazon Dot. Um, and so this has been my first interaction with um, the, this new kind of voice inter- interface. Like I, I do have like an Android phone and it does have Google on it. So you have some of that, um, that voice um, interface uh, happening. But I, I haven't really ever used that feature on my phone, but with the Amazon Dot, because it just has the voice interface, I started saying, you know, trying to ask it questions as you do, and it gives you a whole like list of suggested questions. And I found that when I was asking questions, I was literally asking questions. I wasn't using those kind of search strategies and keyword um, that you're used to processing with doing searches in libraries. Um, I was talking to it like you would talk to a person because that's how you talk. You know, you, you converse, you don't really spit out search terms when you're talking to someone. So like trying to mentally make that shift from myself was just, it was really hard. And it got me thinking about how to, how different must it be to interact with this than um, what I'm used to with the visual interface. Even if we aren't developing specifically for conversational or voice UIs, we should really start uh, preparing for it. There's sort of an analog to mobile first, which is called uh, like API first. It's kind of in the okay, same vein yeah. as content first, but API first being that you know here you have a service, um, and then you figure out how all these different pieces of the service interact with one another in terms of like pushing the data to and from but in that way you can start you know when, when you have to build the actual interface whether that is a chat uh, bot or a website or or an amazon skill it sort of modularizes the real crux of the service so that it's a, a little easier to develop for all these different contexts do you have any thoughts um, no, I don't. And I guess that's probably why I am thinking about it so much is I don't have an idea where to start. Um, and, and you brought up a good point too, that it's, it's not, so these voice interfaces, particularly like Amazon, um, Amazon's Alexa service, like it's not just spitting out the information that we give to it. It's doing some processing of that information and then trying to interpret it and then spit out what it thinks the user wants. So there's, so it's not it's not really that we're designing for what the experience gonna is going to be for the user. It's we have to design for the machine that's going to interpret it 
that's going to spit it out to the user. And I guess that's not that different from our other interface design, but it seems really different when you think about it. Like, um, and so something like a library hours is a, it, it seems like a really obvious thing to be feeding into this. Um, but how do, how can I on my website present library hours in a way that this machine can interpret it so that when somebody asks, can you give me the library hours of the school that I'm at, um, they can interpret that and spit out the right information. That's a really good point. Uh, there, there's two things there. I think you kind of touched on this notion that's at least in um, like higher ed and, 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 and library development of basically linked data. I feel like... Uh, the conversation around that has really died down. And I, I, you know, I, I might even go so far on a limb to like label linked data as, as maybe something as uh, a fish in the water. That doesn't make sense. That makes it sound like it's good. I, I feel like linked data is kind of dead, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I remember walking through all of our interfaces and um, and throwing in a schema micro data and first into all the markup and then when like like Jason LD came out, yeah. I started feeding that into Jason and there was never really anything that uh, the promise was that search engines and, and what other whatever other services would be able to pluck the necessary information yes. out of the website, but there was never really any kind of payoff for that. I yeah. feel like maybe with something with with uh, VUI kind of on the horizon, this is there's potential for this to come back. But when I was recently looking at uh, the Amazon at developing an Amazon skill, I was walking through a few tutorials um, through their developer documentations. It may not be that hard. I, I you know you, it seems yeah. like with even if you're typing to it, if 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 you're if you're chatting with a chatbot or you're yeah. speaking, the real key is being able to parse that. Um, I guess with voice, first that speech to text uh, um, kind of translation, and to make sure that's good. But then kind of the conversational sentence structure or, the, or or partial sentences, how people actually type and chat, and parsing that into readable actionable commands for the service that underlies that yes, uh, bot yes. with the Amazon skill. Um, it seems fairly straightforward. Um, you can feed it commands like, uh, Hey, when is such and such open and then pass it a function. So it just kind of reads these, I don't know. It's like they've given you like the interface for doing that yourself so you don't have to go so far as to. Yeah, but then are we know. like um, so with that? That means having like a completely separate. I, I, it's not an app, but you know, it's a completely separate sort of interface that's separate from everything else that you do. So presumably, if you update your library hours, you'd have to update it on your website and then go and update it in the Alexa skill as well. Is that? How you that's understand it? yeah. Well, that's how I see it. Yeah, that's okay. totally the danger. So uh, the. Like developing a skill doesn't seem necessarily to like pour over to de developing for Google Home or one of these yeah. other services. And then, of course, we were looking at this uh, JavaScript library, the speech-to-text library called, um, I'm going to butcher it, I think it's something like Anyang, which is, um, which is precisely what we're talking about, but it's uh, it's as simple as loading the script in the footer of your website and just writing your own functions around it. And my concern is, uh, you know, aggressively pursuing something like this might 
not, I don't know, it, it might require more, more resources, both in terms yeah. of like time and budget, um, to produce the same thing. It, it, it so the, the goal being to cope, right? Create yeah. once, publish everywhere. Yeah. But if we, but now we're getting into a point where, um, these cope systems are, not just um, like content distribution systems, but they also have to be paired with, I don't know, smart technology that knows yes, what yeah. content to get at what time. Yes. Well, and I would say, so the other thing, because um, I, I live in Las Vegas, so I have the advantage of going to the Consumer Electronics Show every year. Um, and one thing, so smart home technology was huge there this year. And everything was like, oh, and it works with Alexa, and it works with Alexa, and it works with Alexa. Um, <laughs> but most of the things that it was working with as far as Alexa wasn't necessarily you interacting with the technology. It was more like your car interacting with Alexa and um, you know your fridge interacting with Alexa to, to generate a list so that when you're at the store, you don't even have to think about what you need to buy and those types of uh, technologies. And it, you know, that in some ways it's scary because I, I trust users a lot more to, to be able to sort of correct for things that I might get wrong, but machines, like, they're they're not as good at correcting for us when we make mistakes. Um, or maybe they are. Maybe they're going to be smarter than us. So. <laughs> That's really interesting. It's sort of, uh, it's it's like designing for the conversation between machine, or between systems, right? There's yeah. a, um, there is a concept or in service design that is that identifies the interface between say the lack of a better term the end user interface which might actually be a person right like yes. if, if if we chalk up like actual humans at a at a counter um if we roll them into what we call an end user end user interface we are we should be able to identify these end user interfaces which have various principles um but there are also inter uh interfaces really between systems that um that really this is kind of where we've been going in that we don't have like a megalithic um content management system that does all of our processing and and data storage you know our our ILS is also not our um, website true, or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've been working with these silos. It's come to the point where we need to embrace it and kind of like designing <laughs> APIs between these different systems. Yes, yeah. And so you might develop a, like an API between system A only to be interacted with by another system. So you don't really have to consider the, the nuance of like the end user there, but, yeah. you know, but th that suddenly creates kind of like a, a web of complexity because you know all of this ends up you know surfacing as either a good or poor experience um, <laughs> at that at that final interface but I guess what it illustrates is that there is that bug or that overstep or whatever could be miles deep tell me more about um, some of the smart home stuff that you saw at uh, CES so um, there's a lot of so it seemed like this year in particular it was like almost all smart home type stuff, um, um, and it it was a lot of this just what you were just saying like getting away from silos except not silos like we think of in the library but silos like um, your washing machine cannot <laughs> communicate with the other machines in your house and your lights and your thermostat and all that stuff kind of instead of 
requiring users to really input a lot to make it work, more having those systems be more observant of the environment and interact with each other. And um, a lot of the cars that are now featured there, which um, they have like a, an entire section of the convention center in Las Vegas is devoted now to all different kinds of cars and almost all of them are smart cars. Um, and they, you know, interact with, hey, we see that you're going to this location. Don't forget that um, it's somebody's birthday and you wanted to get flowers and here's the directions <laughs> to get flowers. And, you know, kind of the the pinnacle of um, anticipatory design um, is really having the machines do all of this thinking for you um, while processing all of this information all of the data that they're getting um, about you to, to make this customized uh, experience that is your life um, with all of the surrounding smart technology. Um, so it, it was very interesting to like see somebody, a lot of, obviously a lot of these people are not from libraries, but see them really creating um, this anticipatory design that we talk about a lot in library UX. Um, except centered around just everything that you do in your life. Ben Thompson, he wrote in kind of observing how these services are, I don't know, you're creating services for services. Um, they're, they're decoupled, they're, um, they're interacting with context and they know your, like, you know, your, your car knows your calendar and your calendar knows your contacts and your contacts are stored on your phone. And what he observed or predicted, I, I guess it hasn't come to fruition yet, is that um, one thing that we may see as the years go forward is that the the front end that we think about, you know, all of our products have their own front end. Uber has its own app and website. Airbnb has its own app and website. Um, individual organizations like ours have their own websites and services that what will happen just and just by nature of convenience and demand is that the ubiquity of front ends will diminish in favor of essentially a a front end mashup something like IFTTT if this then that <laughs> yes, with yes. It. and and they recently rebranded re so that um there's still IFTTT <laughs> but their their app and their services are all um I'd have to pull it up to see what they're calling it but they're more action oriented so you have like do commands do this do that do that mm. um and so to interact with, say, your light bulbs, you don't go to your light bulbs front end. You go to this mashup, if this, then that. Yeah. To unlock your front door, you go to you don't go to that front end. You go to this mashup, and this may actually be something that consumes the front ends that you and I work on, which yeah. um, requires, I think, a different skill set. Again, it's a, you know, we're like someone like me who who has been you know creating front ends intended to be consumed by mm -hmm. humans um it would require a different approach to kind of roll back and work on these services even in terms of working on the user experience of these services knowing that they are going to be 
uh, engaged with through something that we don't control. Oh my gosh. And like, I just had a, a this is something that like uh, <laughs> academic libraries have been dealing with forever, right? It's this whole yeah, notion yeah, yeah. that, that vendors that when, when, um, when a patron walks in or whatever, they don't need to walk in anymore, <laughs> but like, you know, they're, they're doing the research and they suddenly find themselves, you know, through our interface and they plop down into like Safari online and they, for whatever reason, the means of our contract or whatever, they aren't able to, they have to read their technical manual in the browser. They can't download yes. it to their phone yes. or print it yeah. off or whatever. This sucks. And the patron agrees. Wow. This really sucks. The library sucks. They don't care that it's Safari online. Yeah. This is, you know, and and basically, you know, these vendors are, you know, their their front ends. Although they create their own, they're, you know, these are services that are, um, sort of at least percept like the per, yeah. perceptually. That's not a word. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, kind of uh, forfeited to the domain of the library, yeah. it's possible that these front ends will disappear entirely yeah. and they'll be engaged through well, all and, of that. Yeah. And that, that would be, I think, a good thing for our users to, to not have to deal with those front ends because I feel like it does cause all the, the problem, a lot of the problems that we see with the usability of particularly like our online books um, is these, these front ends that are not particularly uh, well-designed either accidentally or a purpose to protect the companies from um, potential breaches of uh, their copyright by people downloading it. Um, I think there is a little bit of danger. Are you, um, not that you should be, but are, are you familiar with um, this, uh, I don't know, it's not even a real article, but this, this notion I have of the library interface? I, I am familiar with it, yes. The the notion is that the interface um, in this uh, in this environment where um, user experience is the key indicator for the success of an organization's mission or business success or whatever, yeah. those who control the interface are positioned well in terms of like negotiating power. Airbnb is the largest um, like a, I don't know a hotelier, right? But they yeah. don't own any real estate but what they control is how the how users interact with the services of many different individuals behind that so their position uh, as that interface you know they're, they're just controlling that the service that they're providing is interfacing these two disparate other services kind of at a small scale like we're, what we're talking about of this this front end mashup they are the front end of these two different services both individuals offering their spare bedrooms and individuals who want them. So they are positioned um, in terms of negotiating power, like very strongly, you know, I mean, shoot, they're taking on entire city governments um, in a similar way that, you know, Uber and Lyft are consistently in uh, the courts. So the, the danger here is that if this is sort of where we're going, so um, in terms of, I guess what you and I do in terms of like the library interface, we are right now we um, have negotiated, we we are able to put pressure on um, our, the people we subscribe to um, these vendors uh, because we control their access to the users that they want. The danger is that if if we suddenly got subsumed by an, if this, then that um, (laughs) 
suddenly the that negotiating power shifts to if this then that. And I think there's really only room with like seven billion people and six billion people on the internet in some way. There's room for a lot of different front ends here, but m- far fewer than there presently are. And I think that um, is just a reason for concern, at least in terms of your business strategy now. Like if I were saying, if if we're looking at this in the uh, anticipating where things might go, uh, hopefully we have enough data to suggest that this is a likely end result. We should be working now to control the interfaces that we control and not lose them. That's true. Which means consuming other interfaces, right? We're consuming other front ends, pulling more, like becoming one of these mashups ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's what we need in libraries. We need a a group to come up with the library interface that's going to consume them all. Well, and that actually brings up another point, um, going back to sort of our discussion on um, the voice UIs, is one thing I found when I started using it is it's hard to actually speak in a way that you don't stumble, um, that you don't say, oh, wait, I, I didn't mean that. And kind of when you're talking to someone, you can you have all these things that you can fill in. And, and you'll I'm sure everybody listening has heard lots of ums and um, filler words that we use while we're trying to get to the point where we are saying what it is that we mean to say. But if you're saying a command, you don't have that opportunity to say, um, no, I didn't mean that. Can you scratch that last pick out and do this? Um, and I do that a lot in my speech. I, I have a problem with that. And I find that when I'm speaking um, to the voice interface, it gets really confused. And I get a lot of, I don't understand what you're trying to say to me. And I have to start <laughs> over from the beginning. And that, and that can be really frustrating as well. When um, it responds I, like that, do you feel shame? <laughs> um, I, I do. <laughs> and the, the other thing that happens is I have two small kids and for anybody that's been around small kids, they, they don't tend to be good at waiting for you to finish what you're saying. And they will sometimes like try and speak over to me to tell Alexa to do whatever it is they want to do. And then Alexa gets really confused because they have two voices that are saying competing things at the same time and it can't parse them out. Um, so like that natural conversation that we have, like it, it, it doesn't seem like the voice interfaces are uh, complex enough really to understand the way that we actually converse. That's really probably a matter of time, though. Um, what's going to be interesting is when we are able to, with with lack of a better term, kind of like chain our requests together. So, yes. hey, Alexa, what was that? What was the last book that I rated five stars on Goodreads? Oh yeah, who wrote that? Can you find yeah. me something kind of like that, but by a different author? <laughs> you know, yes. so um, and 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 you know that kind of like command is like infinitely complex. The other yes. thing is the lag time between that will disrupt the sensation that you're having a real conversation. I don't yes. I don't have 
the, the I I last spoke to an Alexa Echo in um, an Alexa Echo and Amazon Echo in kind of a demo room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I do use like Siri uh, constantly because um, I have my headphones in. It's just convenient. I'm like, remind me to do this or what's the weather like today, etc. Um, and I intentionally try to treat her as a human. Um, it's kind of funny, but uh, whenever we're in poor connection, it's incredibly frustrating, and you realize that uh, even the you, you realize that there's um, nothing there, and this this kind of like falls back on the whole like performance thing. Uh, you, you know, people will leave a mobile website if it what takes less than or longer yes. than four yeah. seconds to load. For how long will people put up with a voice user interface before swiping over to Google or something? Yes. And yes. Um, I, I'm curious. I don't know if we have the data on like how people who regularly use voice like interact and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I yeah. Don't, but it's... that would be an interesting study to kind of see like how how do you, people talk to machines that's different than their normal conversation. Because like even even yeah like because they can't machines right now can't pick up on tone they can't pick up on body language at least the interfaces that we're oh, looking at and spooky. all of that yeah but all of that stuff um, you know if if you were talking to me I would I would be picking up on like oh that's a sarcastic tone or that's um, that means that he's really serious about something or. Uh, any of any of these other cues besides language that we use to communicate are right right now are not being processed by the uh, voice user interface so we have to kind of compensate for that and train ourselves almost to modulate how we're putting stuff in it's funny that voice and tone is becoming such a big uh, part of kind of everyday uh user experience what with MailChimp's voice and tone guidelines they made publicly available a couple years ago but that really is going to be impactful my first inclination is to wonder whether our you know our our apps will force a certain behavior um uh, so if, if you're like ugh it's like hey library i need blah 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 why don't you ask in a more pleasant tone? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, or something like that. But the other thing that just kind of occurred to me is, I don't know, what if you're in the middle of, or I don't know, um, library, I really need such and such now. Um, yeah. Does that mean that the service will prioritize your query over someone else's because you indicated urgency? Um, and it's just something, you know, I... It's yeah. something that is interesting. Right now, we don't do that, uh, really, uh, but it adds a, yet another layer to the kinds of things that we can develop if urgency and tone, um, kind of like abstract concepts like politeness. Um, <laughs> you're, I mean, and yeah. you know, there's all this, um, there's all this, all this great conversation happening now around the biases and search algorithms. Yeah. Imagine the biases in tone algorithms. Yeah, and and, and it would be different uh, for different cultures. It'd be different uh, for different age groups. All all across the board, I think that that would be um, interesting, but but problematic. <laughs> so, Emily, I don't know if we um, solved any problems in our time today, <laughs> um, but. It's super interesting food for thought. I wonder if you have anything, any final thoughts, any words of wisdom, or just uh, anything you want to leave with 
I, just, I guess the only thing to leave with is just that this is something that we should be paying attention to and having conversations like this so that we can start to think about what this is going to mean for our libraries. Um, so we don't have to have all the answers now, but we just have to start thinking about it. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me for this. <laughs> um, I, I think it's 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 food. Oh my gosh. It's just um, there's so much to be mined here, and it feels kind. Of, what's weird is that it still feels science fiction, but it's so yeah. much part of our reality right now. Um, in the same way that like virtual reality web interfaces, like what does that mean and look like? But it seems it um, it's right there. It's within our grasp. Yes, it certainly is, and it's exciting. Very cool. Okay. Well, um. Groovy. Uh, thanks again. Well, thanks for having me.